the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's the final hour of the week, the final hour of the George Show, here, right here at 710 KNUS. Uh, we'll get back to that other topic here after this, uh, but I, I saw a study that was done by the Fantastic Common Sense Institute, and by way of full disclosure, of course, I'm currently a criminal justice fellow along with Mitch Morrissey for the Common Sense Institute. So I get on their list, and they send out these things, and, and lo and behold, there's a report that comes out and it, it's a question that Billy asks every time we see each other in the radio station, and it's entitled, Where Are All the Men? Only this one is really about their participation in the economy. I thought it was fascinating enough that we reached out to the Coors Economic Mobility Fellow, all those words, yep, Coors Economic Mobility Fellow for the Common Sense Institute, Tamara Ryan. Tamara, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Hey, before we get into this really interesting study uh, that you guys did, tell everybody a little bit about your background. First off, did, did you grow up here in Colorado? Yes, I'm a fifth generation Coloradan. Yeah, it was high school. Uh, yeah, and so I, well, I went to Widefield High School in Colorado Springs, and then I went to mm. University of Colorado in Boulder undergrad. Go Buffs. And then, like like many people who grow up here, uh, you don't realize how amazing it is until you leave. So I left to go to graduate school in New York, and then I had a stint in Chicago and eventually made my way back to Colorado. Now, you've written a a book, at least one book that I see here, The Third Law? Yes. my, uh, My first book was about my experiences at Women's Bean Project. For the past 20 years, I have been the CEO of Women's Bean Project, which is an employment social enterprise that creates food products and employs women experiencing chronic unemployment. And I wanted to talk about the things that I saw firsthand with the women as they work to change their lives. Uh, My second book, which is I'm working on right now, is my second book is called Followship, How to Be a Leader Worth Following, and that should be out uh, next year. When you started to tackle this particular topic, did you know already it was an issue, this thing about male participation, or did you discover this while trying to research some other aspect of the economy? I've spent a lot of time looking at research about labor force participation in general, and I was doing a, my third report for 2023 was about women in the workforce and how women have the highest labor force participation rate ever. And it was juxtaposed against the, the that men's labor force participation rate is dropping. And so I thought it would be a really interesting thing after talking about women to really talk about the challenges that men are facing and and this trend of prime working age men leaving the workforce. Well, talk to us about the numbers, how you got them, and then what does it all mean? Let's just start there. What are the numbers that people, I wasn't aware of this until I started reading this study, and I thought, what the hell is going on? Tell us what the numbers say. 
yeah, it's crazy. Uh, it, you know, I think sometimes the numbers percentage-wise seem small, but today across the U.S., 7 million prime working-age men, which is 25 to 54 is how it's defined, have left the labor force, and they are referred to as NILF, N-I-L-F, not in labor force. And that means that they are not working, nor are they looking for work. So then we thought we need to look at Colorado. So we looked more directly at Colorado. And interestingly, Colorado has fared better than the rest of the country on average. However, if you go back to 2007, so pre-financial uh, crisis, and you look at the rate of men leaving the workforce in Colorado, it's actually higher percentage than across the U.S. So we have historically performed better than the rest of the country, but we, uh, we're doing worse or we're accelerating faster than the rest of the country. So today, since 2007, over 23,000 men have left the labor force. What so the when you start to look at this, it, percentages are small, but numbers are big. What's go Tamara, what's going on here? Are they incarcerated? Are they joining the military, the circus? I mean, what are they doing? Yeah, well, I think, uh, first of all, this doesn't count men who are in the military. So that is, these are men who are non-military workers who, again, are 25 to 54. And there are two primary indicators. Uh, I would say one is education level. So men with only a high school diploma or less are much more likely to lead the labor force. And also, interestingly, men who are not married and or men who don't have kids are much more likely to leave the labor force. So often what happens is that there are uh, nationally, there have been time studies done to look at how men 25 to 54 who are out of the labor force, how they spend their time. And interestingly, and probably unfortunately, what they're doing is spending most of their time on social things, including things like gaming online or and or online. Um, so, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to write this paper is because I think we should all be worried about this. Just so that I'm clear, because my kids game. But, you know, they're all in college and, and great performing high school students, and they still spend more time than I think is really appropriate on gaming. Are these folks that have just disengaged from the uh, from the economy to the point where that's all they do is they get up, they grab a little bit of cereal, and then they sit down and play games all day? I mean, is that the dominant theme of their lives? Yes. And, in fact, the, these time use studies show that it is equivalent to basically a full-time job, about 2,000 hours a year. And a full-time job is 2,080 hours a year. And again, that's what I think is so surprising because the first thing you ask is, well, what what are they doing instead? And that is is the answer. And then the second question I ask is, how are they supporting themselves? Yeah, yeah. You know, how are they how bringing are they income into the household? Yeah. And so the the interesting thing about that is there is either someone in their household who is supporting them, or they are on Social Security Disability Insurance SSDI. What? And so the interesting thing about SSDI is that it was originally developed for men who were aging and, you know, were close to leaving, you know, say retiring and really had some sort of physical ailment that didn't allow them to be in the workforce. Well, 
the standards to qualify for SSDI haven't changed in the last 40 years, even though our medical technology has. And so you can qualify for SSDI in instances with, in which you actually could receive medical care or you could get better and you could actually potentially in some instances work even a portion of the time. But when you're trying to qualify for SSDI, you're not allowed to work. So SSDI and then also someone in the household or they are re receiving food stamps. And so that's a big part of how these men who have left the workforce are supporting themselves. So we're subsidizing, you and I and everyone else listening through tax dollars, we're, we're subsidizing lethargy. Well, that's certainly one way to look at it. I think <laughs> what, what I we guess, need to... I guess I was hoping you would echo that, but you sound a little too smart to take the bait. <laughs> Well, what I would say is that the, the, the solution is to look at why men are leaving the labor force to begin with. And one of the factors is that if you look at real wages for men, they really have not grown at the same rate as, uh, as, as for women. And really, and particularly if you look at men who just have a, college, a high school education, their wages have not dropped or have not grown over the last 50 60 years. And so Why I think that? that's one factor to look at. Well, it is because the jobs that for men, for people without a post-secondary education have really declined. And when you look at what's happening in Colorado, and I, the reason, again, for this report is to say, okay, Colorado's overall performing better than the rest of the country. Yeah. But there are some indicators that would tell us that we need to be cautious because, first of all, it's anticipated by 2031 that 73% of the jobs in our state will require an education beyond high school. Oh, that doesn't 73%? mean a four-year degree. Yes, and we're, it's wow. expected that we'll be second in the country. And only, and we're number 48 in terms of the number of jobs, or the, yes, the number of jobs that are, will only require a high school diploma. Oh my to me, that's a reason for us to be paying attention because we know that while historically we've been the best, one of the best educated states in the country, that's really because we bring uh, well-educated people in because of our in-migration. We also know that our in-migration into Colorado has dropped and it's expected to continue to drop until 2050. So we need to make sure that our homegrown is the expression, our homegrown men are, going, are getting the education that they need to be able to move into the labor force of the future. We're talking with Tamara Ryan, a fellow out there at the Common Sense Institute. It had the word Coors, economic mobility. There's probably one I'm leaving out there. Uh, talking to us about this study called Where Are All the Men? Um, you also have some prescriptions or at least some proposed solutions for this. Can we talk about those? I think I have an idea of some without even looking at the study, just based on what you've said, but can you talk us through what's going to make a difference here? Well, I think the first, if we were on our way to some of those things, uh, last year, Colorado took over from the federal government, our apprenticeship programs. And so currently there were over 500 apprenticeship programs that are offered in Colorado and that is expected to grow. So starting to help high school graduates move toward apprenticeships 
uh, and and potentially not toward four year degrees. I think we that the narrative that everyone has to have a a, a four year degree is is not um, accurate. Um, and then also, there's a lot of work being done with the Workforce Development Council and community colleges to push people toward high demand careers. And so, really pushing certificate programs and apprenticeships. And the great thing about an apprenticeship is you start earning money right away. So you're not getting into debt while you're getting educated. And I think that's a really important thing. And then I really think that, so the Global Commission on for Men and Boys did a study about Colorado and pointed out that death, deaths of despair for men in Colorado uh, are a serious issue. And they recommended that Colorado create a commission on men and boys to help address some of the mental health challenges that men and boys are having in our state. That recommendation has not been pursued at this point, and I really think that it could go a long way toward helping men and boys in our state. And again, I don't want to say that this would be to the exclusion of work that we're doing to help lift up women, but I worry that the work that we've done to lift up women has been to the detriment of men, not intentionally, but has led to that. You also pointed out something else that hits a little close to home because I've been a career law guy in the criminal justice sector. What are the things that can be done to help men that come from that, first off, and the numbers on the incarcerated population? Oh, that's just crazy. 27% of formerly incarcerated people are unemployed, which is a rate that's higher than we even saw during the Great Depression. I think a lot of people don't realize that. Uh, and we're at a point where as much as a third of U- U.S. working age adults have some form of criminal background. And we really need to look at second chance hiring, meaning employers hiring people with backgrounds as a means to fill our jobs and as a way to keep people from being chronically unemployed. I, you know, there is plenty of research, and I'm going to do a report in 2024 about this. There is plenty of research to show that people, formerly incarcerated people who are given an opportunity to be employed, are actually more loyal. They're great employees. And so I think that it is, it's an untapped audience that we have historically uh, sort of minimized and really need to address. I think, too, that the the stigma that rightfully attaches to some convicted felons for some of the worst of the worst offenses you and I can think of bleeds over into all convicted felons. So it doesn't really matter what your felony was. Uh, when someone runs your background check, they see you're a convicted felon, and it makes them uncomfortable or feel like in a competition between you and the person that hasn't been to court in prison, maybe they're the better bet. What What's the answer? How do you get employers to take that chance? Well, I think it is some of what you're saying, which is differentiating between different types of of, um, of charges. And it's also recognizing that I have seen women who are not given housing, who are not hired because they have charges on their record, not even necessarily um, convictions. And so I think some of it is educating the, the, the employer population. And there is a movement across large employers to uh, to do second chance hiring. And so I think it really comes down to having those leaders help us educate other employers around uh, around hiring and helping people understand that there's a difference between someone who goes to prison because of 
say possession or um, or you know sometimes possession with intent to distribute and someone who committed a much more heinous crime and uh, and all that said though I think that our system is intended to provide the punishment and once someone is released from prison the punishment is supposed to be over but we continue as a society to punish people for you know, what I often say is, how would you like for the rest of your life to be punished for the worst day of your life? Well, it's informal, but you're right. It's real. It's, it's practical. What, uh, in addition to that, you talked before about how many of these gamers are sitting around on SSDI, or maybe they or someone else in the family are subsidizing their existence through SNAP and other stuff. What kinds of reforms could be made that would change that? Well, I think one of the things that, uh, that, could change that is having in work incentives as a part of that to allow people to work to the extent that they can. So if someone has a legitimate disability and is not able to work full time, then you're able to uh, to provide an opportunity for them to work as much as they're able and also receive potentially receive subsidy. The way the SSDI system is built, it doesn't allow for someone to work. Uh, and, and so that would be one thing. Another thing is that uh, what has proven to work to incentivize people to be employed is earned income tax credits. And so there are federal earned income tax credits and there are state earned income tax credits. And continuing to incentivize employment through EITC is a really great way to get people to work. And then the final thing is uh, – during the the pandemic, the work requirements for SNAP, which is food stamps, went away. Yeah. Those are going to be reinstituted. Uh, and well, that's helpful. And so, what we want to do again, what we want to do is we want to incentivize people to work. And there are often things about our system that don't do that. Are there other things you can think of? I, I saw the SSDI. I saw the SNAP stuff. How many of these? you know, um, support net kind of mechanisms do we have that no longer carry a work requirement with them? Well, again, they um, they were suspended during the pandemic, and a lot of the conversation in Washington right now is about reinstituting them, and I, I, I believe that that will happen. The interesting challenge is that you know, what we're dealing with at a state level are decisions that are made at a federal level um, in terms of thresholds for, uh, for wages and you know, income and things like that. And so one of the things that I've been working on is uh, joining a working group of organizations and institutes across the country to go to Washington and try to affect the benefits cliffs, the thresholds for which one would qualify in a way that would incentivize work so that as your your income increases, your benefits just aren't all of a sudden cut off. They're tapered. And right now, the most benefits don't taper. They actually cliff. So it, it, it's things like that, that it's a much longer road because it's, it's a, you know, it's a, a manifestation at a state level for things that are happening, you know, decisions that are made at a federal level. Another recommendation I made, and it, a bill was introduced in December, nice. uh, it is to look at doing uh, our benefits and our workforce development in the same way that the state of Utah does, which is through one point of access. So as an individual who needs support, you go to one person in the state and that, and the people in the state determine what benefits you need or how they mm. can help. 
And I do think that um, that could be a way to really uh, cohesively create incentives to work. That's fascinating to me. The the other thing that when you were talking about the uh, earned income tax credit that I thought was really interesting was in light of the fact, and there's another reason for this too, but in light of the fact that married men's labor force participation rates are just higher than those who are individual dudes probably sitting around and gaming, allowing them to be judged for EITC uh, purposes on just their individual income would actually help bring families together or keep families together under that uh, under that change yeah well it certainly would incentivize marriage it would be you know one thing that would incentivize marriage you know we have this interesting challenge i think in our country right now is that um, as women have moved into the labor force and they're earning income they have less need for marriage than than they did in the past because that they can support themselves and then when a woman who perhaps has a, has a college education and is supporting herself, um, uh, she's looking for a man who is at a similar level to her. And, that, and, and when you have today, for every 100 college degrees that are awarded women, only 74 are, uh, are awarded to men. So we're, we're creating all, all of these. Say that part again. What's um, the number? This, so for every 100 degrees that college degrees that women receive, 74 are awarded to men. So women are getting college degrees at a much higher rate than men are also. And so there are all these different factors that are really tying into the decrease in marriage rate and the decrease in marriage rate then potentially decreases the likelihood that a man is working. And, you know, it's a really... All of my reports I find, and I'm sure you do too, are it, it, each issue we're looking at is very complicated. And you know, one of, one of the things I know for sure is whenever you have a problem, it's never singular. It's always multiple things that are interwoven and complicated and need to be addressed really holistically. This is fascinating stuff here. And this is how many reports have you guys generated out there at the uh, Economic Smarty Smart part of CSI? This is my fourth report. Dang. So we'll, we're working on our topics for 2024 right now. I'm, I'm excited to um, – it's been super interesting, and I've had the opportunity to uh, say, hey, I think this is a thing. And then we do the research, and we show that it really is a thing. Well, Tamara Ryan, thank you so much. This is fascinating stuff. Um, I hope that the legislature and the Congress, frankly, take you up on some of these suggestions. The other ones, I don't know that you need to have legislative action, like just convincing employers to give folks a chance seems much more of an education piece. But I like that, too, that not everything is, hey, we need a government fix to this issue, although the government certainly could fix the problems. It's exacerbated. Thank you for coming on to talk to us about this. Thank you, George. I really appreciate it. Hey, that was Tamara Ryan. She's the Coors Economic Mobility Fellow at the Common Sense Institute. You can find her report and all of the others at Common Sense Institute CO. Got to put that CO in there because it's Colorado.org. And I'll mention the reason for that is because this thing is blowing up. This CSI thing has caught fire. They're now in Oregon. Iowa, I keep begging them to go to Hawaii just so that I can try to weasel my way into a trip someone else pays for to help pave the way for whatever they're doing out there, but not yet. But this common sense thing has taken off, and its birthplace was right here in Colorado. It continues to do 
huge work. I'm honored to be a part of it. And I think Tamara Ryan's just another example. They go out there and find these people who are just experts in their field and then cut them loose to try to figure out ways to make the system better. And it's not partisan, which I really like about it, too. Hey, listen, stick around. We're going to get to some more of the emails, some more of the texts, and some more of your calls at 303-696-1971. I'm happy to talk to you about if you're noticing this as well. And the most fascinating thing was these dudes that are dropping out of the labor force, two things. One, they're just playing damn video games all day, and you and I are paying for them to play video games all day. Before we cut away, I want to tell you about Mitch uh, Floria, there's a guy that is not playing video games. I'm not even sure he knows what a video game is because the guy is so hardworking out there at the Art of Granite that uh, he has grown this business as, as an immigrant, an illegal immigrant. And given what we talked about in the last couple hours, that's an important distinction to make. Guy came over from communist-controlled Romania because they don't share a border with the United States and started a family, started a business, and has just been working himself crazy along with his fantastic crew of long-term employees to provide you the best opportunity at upgrading the countertops in your house. Bathroom, kitchen, laundry room, finished basement. I mean, I suppose you could have cabinetry that also has countertops associated with it in the garage as well. If there's a countertop in your house, it can be made better with Mitch Floria and the Art of Granite. You can go check them out at theartofgranite.com, uh, but don't be misled. When you get there, you'll be shocked to see that it's the Art of Granite. It's the Art of Marble. It's the Art of Quartz. It's the Art of fill-in-the-blank, anything you can make a uh, countertop out of. Here's kind of one of the cool things about Mitch, in addition, in addition to the craftsmanship and the, and the, the business stuff is that uh, he's a guy that rewards 710 listeners. So you get the wholesale prices just for using Mitch. That, that's huge. But if you say, I listen to George, I listen to the 710 KNUS folks, then he's going to throw in the bathroom countertop for free with the kitchen countertop package. Or if you're just doing one room, he'll throw the sink in for free. Call him, him, on his phone, 303-386-5919, 303-386-5919, or check him out at theartofgranite.com. That's theartofgranite.com. When we come back, your calls, your text, George Brockler, 710 KNUS. George Brockler back with you here, 710 KNUS. Let's get right to the phone lines. Lynn, you're on 710. Thanks for your patience and hanging on, Lynn. Thank you. Um, hi, George. Um, hi. I, I have, uh, I guess, a solution to the problem with the um, migrants, um, immigrants, um, homeless. Um, during the Depression, they put a program together that built the Hoover Dam. And my feeling is if you come into this country you give two to three years of, of service to the country, whether it's in the military or in a government program, um, to repair the roads, um, possibly to build a, rail, uh, a railway network across the country. It would take the truckers off the road. It would get our produce and all of our goods much faster from one coast to the other coast. And everything, but it could be done. The people would earn money. They'd have to learn. Well, Lynn, language. are you talking? Are you talking about those we let in through this uh, refugee asylum process, or just anybody who manages to find a way through the southern border? Anybody who finds a way to come through the so southern border. So even illegals, border. we w we would employ the illegals. Right. 
um, because we can't kick them out. They find a way to come back. If they, if they come through this country, whatever they are, they, instead of putting them in housing and doing whatever and giving them money, we make them work for it. Just like during the Depression, there were so many people out of work that the government came up with a program to put men out of work to work. That's and interesting. I, a couple concerns that I would have, and I like the idea here that, hey, we're going to try to get something out of these people. One, I don't want to create a vehicle or a pathway to citizenship for anyone who breaks into the country, even if they decided that they would do some labor, because honestly, there'd be a ton of dudes who would pour across that border and say, hey, I'm happy if, if in three years of working on the railroad, I get to be an American citizen with everything that flows from that. I'm in the only other but one that concerns me now anyways. That's happening now. Well, they're except just they're not citizens. They're, they're not no, citizens. No, they're not. But this would be a pathway to, to citizenship. I'm saying I, I don't want to create a pathway to citizenship for illegals. I don't care what they do. I don't care what money they bring. If you broke the law to become part of the, the land out here, to be part of it, we don't want you to be a citizen. It's not fair. I'm afraid to create. So the other ones, though, if you're talking out? about asylum seekers, I feel differently. Go ahead. How do we get the illegals out? I think we. I, I don't think there's one answer. I don't know that you can just send a truck around town and, and grab up all these people, but I don't think you sh- throw up your hands and say there's nothing we can do because it's logistically challenging. I think we have to acknowledge that we're going to increase the cost of labor here in the United States by crushing, crushing employers who hire illegal aliens. Under the table, fake Social Security numbers, doesn't matter. If you're an employer and you're counting on cheap labor, we're going to crush you. Now, that's going to increase labor costs, but okay, I'd be willing to tolerate that if it meant putting pressure on the system to figure this immigration thing out. Uh, okay, I don't have a problem with what you're saying, and if you want to limit it to, uh, to um, migrants and whatever, um, I still think that that constricting them into the armed services or into well, a government you, program. Lynn, where would you doing put illegals something. in the military? No, I'm saying even if it's not illegals, um, I'm saying if it's migrants or, you know, whatever, if they're in this country, that they serve the country, they learn the language, and they cannot, that's the pathway to citizenship. Well, Lynn, I really to be appreciate it. a pathway I... to citizenship that is applicable to all. I appreciate at least that there, thank you, Lynn, for your call. Uh, I appreciate Lynn's thoughtfulness on how can we at least exact something that's a benefit to us instead of this liberal notion of, well, you're here now, and it just would be wrong to send you out, so let's just make you a citizen. Lynn's approach, which there's parts of it I understand, there's parts I just disagree with, I at least appreciate that the thought is, how can we make them more American? they got to learn the English thing. How can we get something out of them? I appreciate that part of it. Uh, Lynn's line is open at 303-696-1971. And I'm sure, Billy, I imagine you told me there was somebody else on the line. And for the love of Pete, I'd probably, yeah. Well, Frank, hold on one sec, man. Let me do this. Let me tell you that there's no ribble like gay ribble like no ribble you know. Uh, Gay is that superstar realtor. (laughs) Just after I said it, I'm sure that's exactly how she wants her live read to go. There's no ribble like gay Um, She and her team at the uh, um, Power Home team at Keller Williams 
on a routine basis, and I mean on a daily basis, get calls from people who need to get out of their current house. Maybe maybe they just want to get out of their current house and got to get into a better situation, and they do both ends of that at levels that other realtors just can't figure out how to do. It's why they sell faster for more. They guarantee to sell your house at the time and the price that you agree to, or they make up for it with the cash. Who does that? I've just saw a thing, top of Drudge Report right here. House sales slowest in 20 years. That means it's competitive, folks. That means it's challenging. You know who can meet that challenge, who can meet that competition on it? Gay Ribble. Give her a call at 833-301-SOLD, 833-301-SOLD. But I'd go to the website, sellwithcertaintycolorado.com, sellwithcertaintycolorado.com. Frank, you're on 710. What do you think, sir? Hey, George, thanks uh, for what you and Billy do. You're always a great help to let people well, thank you. air all their issues. I, I, while I was sitting there at home, I think I came up with a name for your, new, for your show on Friday, the yeah. Friday Morning uh, Legislative Forum. Uh, to come up with ideas so that congressmen can tune in, because now yeah, I know. Yeah, I like it. Well, now I know why the people that, with good intentions, get elected to go off to um, Washington to get polluted, and half of them come back alcoholics and millionaires. But they they never really come <laughs> up both. with any meaningful stuff because of what uh, Tamara Ryan said about the complicated nature of all these problems. Um, this uh, it depends on how big scope you want to look at, but this immigration problem is obviously huge, but I'm afraid it's been co-opted by the Democrats to try to gain voters in the in the long run to try to have a one-party thing, which I'm not in favor of because I think that's a danger to the country. I it think is. if people would listen to the words of Trump from many years ago when he was in office, he wanted some type of vetting system to say, how can these people be plugged into needed jobs or jobs they want to do? Are trained, and I think that's the way it ought to go. You know, I think you do actually have to give credit to some credit to the CIA. Are you familiar with the CIA Book of Known Knowledge? No, no. Uh-uh. If you go to Barnes and Noble every year, somewhere in the reference section, yeah. there's this huge volume that's titled CIA Book of Known Knowledge, and I think they publish it every year. Billy so, says it's a pamphlet, but I think he's being funny. No, it, well, it may be a monthly as, as well, but it's it's also compounded into a big book that you can buy. Yeah, yeah. Tons of facts, thousands and millions of facts. But guess what? They're probably already downloading that into some AI program right now for the mm. answers. So Congress won't be needed in the future. We'll just go to AI <laughs> and get the answer. Uh, that's a spoof, but unfortunately, they're gonna they're gonna do some of that. But some of this knowledge, and it's a new commodity, has really value because of this thing that Jim was talking about, of all these businesses needing these people. Well, there's a perfect opportunity for a pathway to vet these people, let the uh, businesses that need them give them tests, either online or somehow, and find the, the potential people and then sponsor them to come in. There's one answer for some of the immigrants that if we believe this thing, that we need all these people to work. Yeah, and the strength right. of any country is GNP. And, you know, if we if we don't have workers, we don't have GNP. Well, we don't want criminals and crooks and thieves and murderers and rapists and robbers. robbers. You know, that's what Trump is trying to say, that a lot of these countries are dumping not their best, but their worst. So we, we need to put our American ingenuity to a better thing. I, I'm big on the pharmaceutical thing. I want the 
bring the pharmaceutical in, industry back here so the supply chain is, is not polluted, like in, in some, say, from China. But uh, it, the drugs would cost more, but you could adjust that somehow. But uh, I, just, I just want purity in the pharmaceutical line. But so many problems. How, how, I, like the, I like the idea of the businesses sponsoring and all that stuff. I could get behind that. What, two questions, though, and, and we've sort of been talking about this for a bit. From a, a moral standpoint, should we feel some compulsion to do something with those who are here, independent of that bigger fix that you're talking about? That's a longer-term fix. What do you do with the uh, the parents of the you know, anchor babies or, or dreamers or whatever you want to call them? And what do you do with those who, whether you agree or disagree, the Biden administration has stamped off on their forms calling them asylum? What do we do with them? Well, first you've got to identify them. Then you've got to find out what they're all about. Then you've got to re-put them back through the entry process, however long that takes. They might be penalized for a few years for coming in illegally. But if they truly want to be Americans... And that's great, uh, but but you have to put them through some kind of vetting process and education process to become, you know, Americans. Tamara, you know, talks about that Colorado uh, Women's Bean Project. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, such a great uh, success with putting women who are not having any way of making a living into productive life. There was another thing I just heard about, I think, the uh, church group or somebody that sponsored uh, – guys in the homeless population who would like to or be interested in becoming welders and taught them how to become welders and all of a sudden these guys some of them are earning 80 grand or 100 grand oh, man. Uh, you know it's it's amazing so there's a lot of jobs out there we're just not real good at matching up the potential talent but it does take a certain discipline losing some of your uh, drug problems and doing some counseling for your mental problems to make these people more productive citizens and that all adds to the bottom line G and P. I'm afraid when you say crazy things like welders can make $85,000 a year, Billy is now Googling welder school, <laughs> you know, near Welding Aurora. A lot of fun. <laughs> like, just don't, it's different, different kind of fumes than Billy's uh, inhaling right now. <laughs> Frank, thanks for the phone call, man. Have a great weekend. I appreciate it. Uh, I just love the thoughtfulness. I also like the idea that we turn either Monday or Friday into some sort of legislative ideas. I'm sure we'd get funny ones. I'm sure we'd get some crazy ones. But there's some good ones in there, man. And I, I, th- I thought those were some good ideas. I just don't know that we're ever going to get a fix to this that really matters until we get control of the border. And I, again, I'm going to say this again. If anybody tells you we can do that at the same time that would create a path for citizenship, you have to reject that. Because until, you know, the best example I heard, and I don't even know if she came up with it, was Ann Coulter, who said, when the tub is overflowing, you don't get on the ground to start sopping up the extra water until you've turned off the spigot. That's just a perfect uh, analogy to the problem, and we just got to figure out to, what to do. But then once we turn it off, what do we do with all the water in the tub? I mean, that that's the $10 billion question, and we haven't solved it here, but we've had some great ideas. Listen, we're going to cut away for a break. I'll talk to you about something I'm going to be doing after the show. We've talked about it on air. Uh, it's going to be some resolution of a sort on a case that we know pretty darn well. Uh, before we do that, though, I want to tell you about our friends at Ultra Botanica. They have that ultra-curcumin-based patented um, supplement. It's an antioxidant. It's an anti-inflammatory. I've taken it. Billy's taken it. Billy thought it was going to make him taller. It doesn't make you taller, as it turns out. All it does 
and it's a big deal, is it's a health enhancer. You feel better on it. And what I noticed in particular was when I was running, when I was dragging this old body around town trying to get myself in shape for a big, long run in October, I still felt pain. It's not like it's a panacea for everything, but that pain didn't last as long. My ankles and my knees, it just went away more quickly, and that's a testament to the power of this thing. You go check it out at GetUltraNow.com, GetUltraNow.com. But get in your car, drive over, or ride the bike or the train or whatever the Dems would want you to do. But get over to your natural grocers. Ask the vitamin manager for your free three-day supply. Give it a shot. When it does something for you, then you're going to hop back online and you're going to order the 30-day supply. But until then, go try it out for free. You're going to experience relief most likely. This is what the numbers say. In well less than those three days, half in 48 hours, half of that group within two. GetUltraNow.com. GetUltraNow.com. I'm going to cut away for a break. When we come back, we'll get to your calls, your texts. We'll wrap up the show. It's George Brocker, 710 KNUS. George Brockler, back with you here. Final segment, 710 KNUS. Some of the texts that I'll read to you before I uh, give you the information about that case I teased you about. It says, Trump tried to not force feed some of his policies all at once. And he had, oh, here's what it was. It was, come on, George. Trump had to deal with COVID for two years, and it redirected the direction of some of his goals. Why can't that fact be brought up? And my answer was because he had a GOP-led Congress for two years before COVID. That was his primary goal. You can't say, hey, he tried not to, and this is what it was, he tried not to force feed some of his policies all at once. No, no. When you campaigned as your primary thing on, on controlling the border, closing it down, building a wall and getting Mexico to pay for it, you don't get to say, well, once I got in, I thought I'd baby step my way through some of these things. Another one, George, totally agree with you about if they came here illegally. I don't want them to become citizens. They came cheating, and what also astounds me is why would you want to come to a country that people don't want you? Well, I don't know that they know that people don't want them. They know that the laws are here that will protect them. They know that they're going to have a better life economically and probably from a safety standpoint, especially for Venezuela, my God. So I get that part of it, even if people uh, look down their nose at you. But I also think I don't Would someone explain to me why fill in the blank here. When someone breaks into the country, when someone comes here in violation of our laws, they should be a citizen because dot, dot, dot. I'm just looking for that answer. Maybe that's a different show. Here's another. I don't think anybody's realized these people have not been vetted. They haven't been vaccinated. That's true. The chicken pox thing is real. And if they come in legally, they usually try to do that. Most of these are illegal. They've had crimes and they've had crimes in their own countries or they've been criminals. I don't think we know that. You can't say that we don't know who they are and then say most of them are. That's not fair. Some of them likely, but you can't say most of them. In this country and deported, given any kind of amnesty is a huge mistake. I agree with that. Whether you like it or not, why do you? what do you think will happen when they don't get what they want? They cause most of the crime. Now, they don't cause most of the crime. They're involved in crime, no doubt. They don't cause most of the crime. I'd say 90% of the crime in this country are created and committed by illegals. That's just provably false. That is just simply not true. They do have an impact on crime. They are not the source of 90% of the crime. That just isn't accurate. We are the source of at least 90% of the crime. 303-696-1971 was the number, but I don't have time to take your call. As soon as I say that, I look at the clock. Let me tell you what I'm going to do after this. I'm going to get off here. I'm going to get a little cleaned up, and I'm going to drive to the Arapahoe County Courthouse because guess who gets sentenced today, 11 o'clock, 
Robin Nicetta faces sentencing for that very first trial where she she was convicted of everything. She has another one hanging out there. I'm going to go to support uh, Aurora City Councilwoman and friend Danielle Jarinski. Uh, we will report on Monday, hopefully with Danielle, how that turned out, the impact on her, how she thinks it's brought her closure or maybe not. Uh, but I'm going to go to that right after this. If Go online and see if you can if you can watch it and stream it at Colorado Court something or other. If you Google it, you'll find it. Hey, listen, thanks to everybody, Tamara Ryan and everybody else. Billy, thank you for a great week. I'll see you on Monday. Stick around for the National Guys. It's George Brockler, 710 KNUS. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.